Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Can you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pray against the, the fear and the distraction we bring with us. God, the, the things in the corner of our eyes, the things in the corner of our lives that keep us from the fullness of you. Father, as we open your word and we, we learn more about your character and begin to try to put more of that character on, Father, we pray that you would give us clarity of mind and clarity of heart. We would be honest on our self-diagnosis and we would be authentic in the journey. Progress, not perfection. Father, we love you. Thank you for this time and space. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Kyle Burkholder. I'm pastor here at Covenant Church and just one of the elders that has uh, the great privilege of leading us upon our mission. And it is because of our elders that we are starting a brand new sermon series today. Uh, this series is, as you can see on the screen, called Cultivate. What we are going to be aiming to do is grow in the characteristics of Christ. And so uh, not too long ago, our elders came to me and, and a couple had a burden on them. They said, we have a real burden that this is something we need to do as a, as a church, as a people. We need to learn um, what is the fruit of the Spirit look like? How do we know if we have it? And how do we grow in those characteristics and in those aspects of Christ's likeness? And so that's why we're doing this right now. And uh, I'm excited to start it off. I'm excited to give you kind of a, an overview. So what you need to expect over the next few weeks is I'm going to give you an overview today of uh, kind of the core passage we're going to be looking at. And then in the weeks that follow, you're going to get uh, love and joy and peace and patience. And so you're going to get the in individual facets of the fruit uh, as we go. And so if you're going, man, I could really use some patience, that's coming. Uh, today we're going to zoom out and look at the whole and get some context and then drive through it like that. So um, in order to do that, uh, I'm just going to get us started with the, the scripture we're going to be in. That's Galatians chapter 5. We're going to read verse 13 through 26. So it's just a bit, but you can read along with me and uh, that'll get us started. Scripture says, you, uh, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you who are not to do what, so you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh, Paul says, are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, he says, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So we start out this series called Cultivate about the fruit of the Spirit. And we go, well, this sounds like positive and happy. And so I get the great job of going, guess what? It is positive and happy. But there's also like a dark side to it that that is there to answer. There's kind of two lists there, aren't there? We always think of the fruit of the Spirit as a list. It's the fruit, it's singular fruit, like a diamond, it has many facets, like an orange. Since we're on fruit, let's stick with fruit. An orange is an orange, right? The fruit of the Spirit is a fruit, a thing, singular. But an orange is orange, and it is sticky, and it is sweet, and it is tart, and it is, it's many things all in one. And so the fruit of the Spirit, when we talk about that, some of us will often say fruits of the Spirit, it's fruit. You, if you have the Spirit, you have the fruit. Now, some of the facets, this orange isn't as sweet as it should be. Okay, well, I don't have the patience I should have. And so as we talk about it over the coming month, that's what we're thinking about. When we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, we're looking at the facets of the singular thing. What we're not going to spend a lot of time on after this week is that first list. Because there's two lists there. One is the acts of the flesh, and then the second is the fruit of the Spirit. So the first is led by me and my desires. And you can check the receipts on what that leads us to. It, It doesn't go very well. The second list is led by the Spirit and rooted in Jesus, and that, it says, leads to life. And so we have to be careful not to fall into the trap when we hold two lists out in front of ourselves. We have to be careful not to fall into the trap of religious legalism where we'd say, well, isn't the point then just to avoid that first list? Like if I just don't do the things on the first list, then isn't that how I get the second list? Isn't that how God would love me is if I just don't do the bad things? And that isn't really the point. To uh, paraphrase one of my favorite authors, Marcus Buckingham says, he's talking about they do marriage research. He's like a, a researcher and he, he creates kind of just rules for life based on deep research they do on things. He goes, you wouldn't look at a, a bad marriage to figure out how to have a good marriage. When you look at a bad marriage, what you find out is all the data on a bad marriage and you don't just do the opposite of that. That would just lead to not bad. So the opposite of, he would say, the opposite of uh, bad isn't good. It's not bad. Avoidance of the bad list doesn't lead you to good, it just leads you to not bad. There's no hope there, though. Not doing the bad thing doesn't lead you to great hopefulness in life, it just leads you to um, not bad. Some of us, and maybe you are in the place in life where we're going, not bad would actually be an improvement on where I am right now, actually. You don't know. That would be nice. That's fine. You're welcome to try not bad, see how much life that brings. I would like to think of it this way. If If we were in a movie, let's say like a 90s action movie, where there was an asteroid, we just found out, you woke up this morning, the news is, is, it's all over the news, there's an asteroid coming to the earth, we we have three months to live, we need someone, someone, in the Bruce Willis mold to go and take over, fire rockets or land on the asteroid, do something with the asteroid so the asteroid doesn't kill us. How many of us are expecting that what we'd really like the governments of the world to get together and do is find somebody who's kind of not bad? You know what, just get, he's fine. You know, the, the kind of guy, and that's always who you get in the Hollywood movie. They find him on the scrap heap of life. He's got some personal problems, but we're going to redeem him. But we don't actually want that guy to try to save the earth, do we? The guy who, at the launch, is busy checking his fantasy football team and forgets to schedule, you know, and he's, oh, the rocket, sorry, doing a thing. That's not bad. We don't really want not bad. None of us want not bad. The avoidance of bad leads to not bad. What we want is great. We want true life. We want something better than that. As a girl, Dad, I did ask the question, why wouldn't it be a woman who was chosen to take over the asteroid, right? Hello, 2021. And then I realized it's two things. One, Hollywood taught me it has to be a man off the scrap heap. 
with some sort of addiction or problem. And two, if a woman had been in charge, we'd never had this problem in the first place. Okay. okay. That's called answering a stereotype with a stereotype. You can, you can use that. Uh, Christianity isn't about your behavior, but your identity. This is the point of today. You're like, where are we going? We're talking about asteroids. Christianity isn't about your behavior, but your identity. You don't behave your way into new faith and new life. It isn't about the lists. I'm going to tell you a secret. We're going to talk about this list for like five weeks. It's not about the list. You don't behave your way into a new identity. New life and new faith paves the way for new behavior. You can't flip them. You can't behave your way into faith and life. You have to find true life, and that will change the way you behave. Anyone have a dog at home that they uh, maybe treat more like a human than they should just by show of shameful hands? Yeah, okay. You don't have to tell me, but I know. I know you. I don't want to put you on the spot, so I'll take my father and use him. My father has a dog. If you're watching this, Dad, I'm sorry, but it's true. Um, this dog gets treated like a child. We have, I'm not, this is not a joke. We go through the drive-thru at the local you know, burger place, and he will ask, knowing very well that they don't have this, he will ask if they have any combo meals for dogs while holding his dog, you know. And we'll just all slink down in our seats like, you know they don't have that. Why would you say that? And he asks anyway, and then he goes on to explain what kind of dog he has, and then he orders the type of burger that his dog would like, and the dog isn't even a quarter pound itself, and yet it's getting, <laughs> and so this little hand warmer comes through the line, and we get the thing, and the dog gets a cheeseburger. Now, I would ask you, and I could say this story, and I can embarrass my father because he's contractually obligated to love me, but how many cheeseburgers does the dog have to have before he turns into a human? Okay, well, I see what you did there. It doesn't matter how much we treat the dog like a human. The dog's identity isn't changed. The dog is still a dog. It's still a dog. And no matter how many human behaviors or, or, or fuzzy sweaters we put them on in the winter or whatever, it's still a dog. It doesn't matter how many things we give it to do that act like human things, the behavior never changes the identity. And no matter how much we want that to happen, it never, never actually takes hold. So the two things we learn at the beginning of this is avoidance of bad doesn't lead to good. It leads to not bad. Second, behavior change doesn't change identity. So then what does? What, what actually gives us this transformation? What brings the life? What brings that list? How do I get that list? I do need more joy and more hope and more kindness in my life. How do I get that? Tim Keller says this. He says, what makes you a Christian, and this is going to be the end of this quote, what makes you a Christian is not that you turn over a new leaf or start to live in a different way. So hear that. What makes you a Christian is not that you turn over a new leaf or start to live a different way or that you get some inspiration or you get a new philosophy on life. That doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is that the resurrection power of Jesus Christ flows over and into you. The distinguishing mark of a Christian has nothing to do with the philosophy that you hold in life. It has everything to do with whether the power of God through the Spirit of God lives in you. And that's the only thing that changes. It's the only thing that transforms. It's the only thing that has power in your life. It's an identity shift. Apostle Paul says earlier in Galatians, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The identity shift that Paul says in Galatians 2 is what leads us to the list in Galatians 5 being possible for us. That we have to die to self to flesh, to that first list. We have to be dead to it so that God might breathe life into us. It's an identity shift. It's not behavioral. The death of me leads to life through him. 
That's hard. Can't I just leave one list and do the other? My wife has been out of town this weekend celebrating her 40th birthday with some friends in Texas, and I have a list. She didn't give me a list, but I have a list of things I'm going to get done. I warned my children of this. I said, once we get home from church and community group, we have a list. And the sheets are in the wash right now. The towels are in the wash. The Roomba's going to work double time. we got a whole thing. But it's a list. And, and I'm, I'm doing my best, but it doesn't change in my core who I am. It's just for one day I managed to check off the list. But, but I would never have thought of that. That's just me trying to earn love. And she would say, you don't have to do that. You, I, love you. I love you for who you are. Not because, thank you for doing the sheets, by the way. But I love you for who you are. But everything in us wants to, to tackle a list. And this is saying you have to die to self in order to live the life that God has set aside for you. Our only hope for restoration and, and transformation, our only hope for restoration and transformation is the resurrection power of Jesus. We try to think, you know, sometimes we, we get simple, and that's okay. If you believe and follow, if you believe and follow, what does that actually mean if you believe in Jesus and follow him with your life? It means and when that's earnest and true in you that the resurrection power of God flows in and through you. That's the distinguishing mark, is the resurrection power of God flows in and through you, and it transforms you from the inside. Paul in Ephesians writes this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit, capital S, spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for those who believe. Incomparably great power. Are you living with incomparably great power right now, or are you just getting by? He goes on, that power is the same. What is that power? That power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Don't miss this. The power to change, the power to be transformed, the power to be restored is not in your list. The Bible says that it is in the power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That power is in you. And if you will access that, if you will live through that, you have an incomparably great power within you. Short of that, you are working out of flesh. And flesh will lead to the first list. You can't avoid the first list because flesh is the first list. Paul again, Philippians chapter 3. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. When Paul talks about knowing Christ, you always get this sense that there's more to it. It isn't just a, a head knowledge and a, I'm going to follow some list that he gave me. Paul talks about the power of Jesus, the power of God, to know the power of his resurrection. You get that. That's, that's yours. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you said, God, I believe in who Jesus is, who, say, who he says he was, I believe, and I, I take him as my Lord and my Savior, that is not simply a way of checking a box and, and becoming a member of a local religious establishment. That is an invitation to take in the power of God. The same power that raised Jesus comes into you. Your deadness, your guilt and your shame and your spiritual struggle, your joylessness and your hopelessness, everything inside you is then infected by the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That's how deadness gets transformed into life. That's how flesh becomes fruit. 
Transformation is found in the Spirit, to which some will say, okay, that's nice. Where is the Spirit? The Spirit is found in those who abide in Jesus. It's kind of a Christian word, abide. We don't use that word very often in our daily life. Hey, where are you at right now? I'm abiding at Target. I'm just getting something like, no, that's, don't, no one says that. So it's a religious word. You're probably going to hear it a few times over the next month. We, we have access to the Spirit because we abide in Jesus. Because we are dead to self and alive in him. What does that mean? Abide, I want to say and offer that abide has two different aspects. If we look at abide, there's two sides of the same coin, but they both matter. The first of, of, of abiding, I would say, is proximity. If you say, where do you abide, I will tell you where I abide. I'll give you my address and the people I live with that I spend most of my time with. I abide with them. And we tend to form a culture amongst ourselves. We tend to have kind of the same habits. We tend to kind of do things the same. If your children abide in your home, people all the time, you're like, I don't even know who these kids are. And then they come up and they're 35 years old and they're doing the same things their parents did and they're pulling their hair out going, I'm just like my father. This is a little confession. Um, how? Well, they spent 20 years abiding in that culture and soaking in that home and they took on the characteristics of that place. The same is true in proximity for us. When we are abiding in Christ, you cannot help but take on his characteristics. So proximity matters. You have to rest in him, live in him. The second piece of it is obedience, though. We say, well, it's just abiding. That sounds sweet. No, no, abiding plus obedience. So proximity plus obedience equals abiding. Proximity plus obedience equals abiding. Abide. You know where we do hear this word in, in modern language? A judge will put down a ruling, and the offer is, is, is set down before the plaintiff and the defendant, and as the ruling has come down, and, and the people have to agree to abide by the judge's ruling. I will abide by that ruling courtroom is where we abide by things. We abide by the rule set down before us. So there's an obedience aspect to abiding as well. You can't just say, yeah, 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 I abide proximity, sweet by and by. It's not that. It's that plus obedience. The Spirit is promised for those who abide, which is not only a rule we can live by, although there are rules that we can live by, but a ruler who would give us the strength and power to live them out well. So when you combine those two aspects, you have not only the ruler who gives you the power to live out the, the right way of living, but then he's not, he's not flawed in that he just says, go do well. He goes, also, here are the ways that you can live. This is the way that I will give you, that if you abide in me and you're close to me and you rest in me and you're with me, then you'll have the power and the ability to live out the, the principles I've given you that lead to life. Active rest in him and active trust and obedience in his ways. And what's real is the, the opportunity, the, the invitation is still there for you to do the other. You're allowed to reject that and be like, that sounds like a lot of work for me. Spiritual deadness is on offer. And so those two lists are helpful in this sense in that one, um, it shows us what's possible with life, but it also reminds us that death is a choice you can make. The acts of the flesh are obvious, it says. Sexual immorality and impurity and debauchery and idolatry and witchcraft and hatred and discord and jealousy and fits of rage and selfish ambition, dissensions and factions, envy and drunkenness and orgies and the like. If you are playing words I didn't think they said in church bingo, I gave you a couple right there. This isn't a list of taboo behaviors, though. Those are things we shouldn't do. This is a list of the signs of spiritual deadness, a living out of self and flesh. 
So even those of us who follow Jesus, when we who follow Jesus, who have a new life in him, instead choose to live out of the flesh and pursue selfish agenda, this is what results. When we live out of our brokenness and out of our flesh and out of ourself and not out of the power of the Spirit, we get this list. Scripture says it's obvious. There's 15 named acts. Seven, I would say, easily attached to irreligious people. I wouldn't be caught dead doing that. The other eight, I would say, are much more common in people that sit in church on Sunday morning. This isn't a list for people out there. This isn't a list for, this is a list to go, when you live out of your flesh and not out of the Spirit of God, this is what comes of it. I know this. I've had a front row to this for 20 years. The church people are not somehow better. When we live out of the same power that the rest of the world lives out of, we have the same sin. We have the same problem. We have the same brokenness. Jealousy and envy. I can tell you some worship team stories over the last 20 years. People storming off of a a staff person's wife that had to be taken off the team because of the jealousy because she didn't get to sing a solo. Jealousy and envy. That's not spirit-led life. That's flesh-led life. Selfish ambition. I would serve, but I never get any credit. Dissension and factions. We'll come back when you get rid of the masks. Rage and discord and simmering hatred. I've had a front row seat. As people stream into my office, I get a front row seat of the trial of trying to live out of flesh. What it always leads to is unreconciled hearts, is is people who can't quite get over the hump of reconciliation, who can't quite figure out that there's a way beyond this. And it's because of resentment and fear or rejection or loss or general insecurity, because of all the things in our flesh that we are weak in, we fail to get over the hump and we fail to make reconciliation. We fail to move forward because we're not living out of the spirit. We're living out of the flesh. Churches split because Christians decide for a few days or weeks or months or years that the flesh is where we're going to be led, not the spirit. Marriages crumble. And life that we've been invited into gets replaced by death, by broken relationships and by loss, by pain. Because of, instead of spirit-led love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, we practice flesh-led life, which leads to that other list. So as we dive into this series more deeply, the question I really want to linger for you is whether your days are marked with increasing life, I feel like I am growing in the fruit. Life is, if I was the orange, a little sweeter and a little oranger and a little juicier and a little, oh yeah, this is good. I feel like I'm growing in that. Or is that shriveling up? And I'm actually slowly on the decline towards a spiritual death. Every single one of us, if I pressed you and gave you the truth serum, every single one of us would have an honest answer to that. I feel like I am increasing in life every day, closer to spirit, closer to God. I feel like I'm, I'm going the right direction. And if what I've experienced is true, a majority of people, eyes open, would say I'm actually probably on a slow decline. Maybe imperceptible to everybody outside, but I'm on a slow decline. I think we want life, though. Paul starts this part of the the letter to the Galatians in chapter 5, verse 1. He says this, this is for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
So stand firm and don't let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. He starts this whole thing which leads to these two lists by bringing up freedom. We've been marked by slavery and death and sin. And what Paul is trying to remind us is that we've been bought out of bondage, made free to abide in Jesus. We've been bought out with the life of Christ so that we might abide in him. We might live in him. We might rest in him. We might trust in him. And if we can do that, then he gives us this beautiful list of all the things we wish were true in our life. You've been set free, Paul is saying, so that you might flourish, so you might choose life. So if you find yourself looking for transformation, if you're in a season where you go, gosh, I really wish this season would change. Or if you're in a lifetime where you go, there has to be a different way. If you're a little short on peace or patience or you wonder where joy went in your life. If you wonder why you cannot be kind to your children, even though you know you're supposed to. If you wonder why self-control is so hard to come by. The answer for the next five weeks is going to be it's in Jesus. It's life in Jesus led by the Spirit. It's in leaning in to him. It's in abiding in him, living with him, proximity with him, and obedience with him. Christianity isn't about your behavior, but your identity. It's not about your behavior. It's about your identity. You don't behave your way into new faith or new life. Your new life and your new faith paves the way for new behavior. So if you want transformation and growth, if you want that love and that joy and that peace in your life, if you want greater fruit, I will say, and you will hear again, check the root of your life. Are you plugged into Christ? Is your first thought into his word, into his truth? Are you plugged into everything else in the world? Are you tapped into cable news or social media or highlight reels or every short-term gratifying distraction? And that's the root of life. That's where you're tapped in because wherever you are tapped in, that will produce the fruit. It'll either be the fruit of the flesh or the fruit of the spirit, and the choice is really up to us. By faith, Jesus gives you access to live by the spirit, to live with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And that is the path of transformation. That is how we begin to cultivate life. And once we find that life, that real life and true life, that grace life, then love and joy and peace and patience and all the rest become things that we have full access to. And the fruit grows bigger and sweeter than we could ever imagine. And that's what we're going to be looking at for the next five weeks. And that is what we are praying that God would open our hearts and our eyes to find. Let's pray. Father, I'm burdened for... uh, busy people, I'm burdened for uh, your sons and daughters who with truth serum would admit that life is busy and that life is hard and there's a lot of things going on and this idea of abiding in you, of kind of sweetly just sitting with you on the porch, that seems really foreign and far off. For many people, it's like an impossibility. Father, I pray that you would show us the little ways that we might abide in you more deeply, the little ways and habits, little moments of our day that we might find you in them. And in doing so, we might tap into this resurrection power. Father, you've said you've given us all of the spirit, those of us who would follow you, that we have all of you. 
I pray that as a people, we would encourage each other to live in that. We would hold each other accountable when, when, when the, the life of the flesh is clear to see that we would be honest about it, we would confess it. Acknowledge that somehow this doesn't seem like one of those list kind of things. And as we repent and we turn from that, as we turn back to you, God, you would give us one more sweet moment with you, one more deeper, intimate place with you that we would find ourselves truly abiding, that we would have proximity and from that obedience and from that fruit. Jesus, thank you for your presence with us through the Spirit. Thank you for the power that gives us the access to true life. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon, every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening.